this is a conclusion to a long series of decisions which have unhinged us from nature, of, of an understanding of what kind of creatures we are. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, we have the pleasure of two guests. Our first guest will be Cece Pecknold, who is a professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. We'll give you a little more of his bio in a second. And then we also are going to have Ryan Anderson from the Heritage Foundation talking to us about the dangers of this recent Supreme Court decision of Bostock versus Clayton. Dr. Pecknold, you've authored five books. Uh, you've also, you write weekly columns for the Catholic Herald, and you've written for First Things, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, National Review, uh, on a range of timely topics related to the importance and the impact of church teaching on social and political questions. And with doing all that, I'm, I appreciate you carving out any time to even speak with me. Oh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Today we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court's decision in Bostock versus Clayton County. And you may say to yourself, well, what is that? Well, that's a, the court had to rule on whether Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act bars employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And the court actually came down six to three, holding that the act does indeed forbid such discrimination. And, you know, when I first heard it, I'm like, you have to be kidding me. It's almost like the Equality Act through the judicial system. Uh, but what are the dangers of really letting someone's delusion become a reality when it comes to the church? Well, it's an odd thing, Deacon, that the church is often put in this position that we, and we have to stand up for things like basic reason. Um, and this is something which uh, we never thought we would be in the place in which people were uh, legally challenging the very idea of sexual differentiation um, with this idea that this Gnostic idea that you are the gender that you feel that you are. And uh, what Bostock did was something very egregious. What, what, what the law is, is a determination of what is um, the or in the ordinance of reason. It's the determination of what's reasonable. And what Bostock has done is it's unhinged the very reasonableness of being male and female. So we can see it's actually quite disastrous. And I think, you know, the Church has to bear witness to the differences between men and women, and, and this is essential to human nature. But I think this is not just something that's the purview of the Church. This is something which any reasonable person, indeed every reasonable person throughout all of history, has recognized uh, this basic truth about human nature. And so we have our highest court completely unhinged from reality. Well, and it was just a few years ago that actually people that struggled with transgender ideology, look, we feel sorry for people like that, right? They do need help. It was considered a mental Absolutely. illness, and now we've gone from not only is it not a mental illness— 
but it now has become a civil right. And, you know, one of the things I'd like to cover today is, you know, how does this decision, when it's made without the understanding of natural law, lead Mm -hmm. to these type of disastrous outcomes? You're absolutely right. This is a conclusion to a long series of decisions which have unhinged us from uh, knowledge of nature, of of an understanding of uh, a reasonable understanding of what kind of creatures we are. Um, And, uh, you know, certainly Roe v. Wade was this kind of unhinging of the goodness of human nature as such in finding, you know, a a right to abort your child, uh, that kind of put the privilege on human will above human nature. Uh, Human will was more important, and then the more powerful will was more important than human nature. And so uh, we've unhinged in that decision um, nature uh, from our from our legal rights. Uh, and then you just go on down the line all the way to Obergefell, which of course unhinged the nature of marriage. And then now Bostock uh, unhinges just the very nature of the person as, dif- as sexually differentiated. And so it, it, it's a kind of sad, in a way not surprising, conclusion to a long series of decisions. Uh, People have been very upset that uh, Justice Gorsuch um, wrote the lead opinion. He was supposed to be a great defender of, of, of those who, who, uh, who are defending uh, human nature in the public square. Uh, And Gorsuch, instead of doing that, he, he followed the, the long tragic line of, badly reasoned arguments against the nature of reality. So in reality, I mean, you know, for people who proclaim or really, you know, are think they're that smart, how do you throw out natural law and all of a sudden come up with your own when natural law is the foundation of, you know, why we're here and what we're meant to do, and you just throw everything out the window and now you side with the mob in the end, right? I think there's a lot of truth to that, and and not just with the mob. I think there is a, a sense of siding with the mob too. Um, but when you look at, you know, the the majority decision in Bostock, what you have is even those who were supposed to defend basic human nature, as as Gorsuch was. I think what they're doing is siding with the elites. They're siding with their peers, uh, not just with the the mob. Who it's kind of both and. Well, yeah, they're fo- they're following they're following the elite. I mean, somebody asked me, you know, how do you get um, a, a conservative Supreme Court justice who's who's actually going to follow through and not and not uh, change with the winds when he comes onto the high bench? And I I said, well, it's it's quite simple. You want peer approval. <laughs> it's just like when Yikes. I tell my teenage son. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's an enormous amount of pressure. And, and I think Catholics feel this, too. Uh, Catholics are inevitably going to feel an enormous amount of peer pressure to say the right things or to not say certain things about reality. Because the peer pressure is such that 
you prefer you prefer the approval of your peers to the nature of reality. And I think Justice Gorsuch has done that in Bostock. He's preferred the uh, preferences of his elite peers to actually what he was trained to do, which was to uh, give textual interpretations of, of the law that that conform to, to reality as such. Well, and I think what you do at Catholic University of America in terms of the theology department, you know, talking about politics and theology in the same sentence— I mean, because yeah. you, it, it, it sheds a whole new light on looking on things. But, you know, what you're seeing here is, you know, those those two terms diverging when in reality they should be supporting each other. That's right. I mean, in the in the same way that that, you know, grace doesn't destroy nature, but but perfects and elevates it. So does Christianity not destroy politics, but. It perfects politics and elevates politics, and I think that's that's the proper relationship. But uh, right now, what we have is a kind of new Gnostic religion that's emerged, which thinks that human nature is just whatever we want it to be, and we have uh, politics uh, coming from the judiciary. Politics is supposed to come from the legislature. Uh, well, but, well uh, they, they haven't read that playbook, that's for sure. They have not. Well, well, I think or created sense, their own playbook. In, in, a, in a sense, you could say though that that Congress has ceded its its playbook. Yeah. Congress has ceded yep. to legislate, and so the judiciary has become a super legislature. And you know, I'm I'm sorry to say that oftentimes the church um, has not played the perfecting and elevating role in relationship to. The society, but has often gone along, um, and uh, so there's there's a kind of lack of leadership of those who have the courage to stand up. Oftentimes, bishops don't want to want to uh, rock the boat, and I understand that. Um, uh, but it's a kind of perfect storm in the, in the United States where we have the judiciary being a super legislature. We have Congress not legislating at all. Maybe they pass a budget from time to time. We have the executive. Um, well, we don't have to talk about the executive. Um, and then we have the church in its own kind of difficult time, uh, is still on lockdown, uh, still kind of tending its wounds from a from a very fractious period in, in church history. And uh, I think it's a perfect storm for uh, the ordinary Catholic who's trying to figure out what their places and how to become a saint in the midst of all of this. Well, and I think your point is right. You know, the hierarchy of the church, you know, there's been a few comments uh, or statements put out, but they haven't come anywhere near to scratching the surface of the danger of this decision by the Supreme Court. You know, all they say is, you know, they don't agree with it. But in the end, look, the church is going to be confronted with some really serious stuff. So what is it for those who are listening that they should be concerned because people need oh, yeah. to be screaming this from the rooftops, not just kind of saying, oh, that's that was bad decision and move on. This is going to have lasting consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, Ryan Anderson uh, is absolutely the, the best expert on this. The the lawsuits, the the legal ramifications on the church are going to be massive. Um, the, we are going to get 
discrimination after discrimination after discrimination suit. And Gorsuch even said this in his opinion. Yeah, he did. I read that. Yeah, he's just like, hey, well, come on, bring it up and we'll see what we decide then. Yeah, yeah, bring, bring up these religious liberty problems. Uh, so I think, I think what, what we already have is, is many dioceses on the brink of insolvency who are now going to face a new uh, state of lawsuits discrimination lawsuits because the activists will absolutely uh, want to press these cases against the church to test test the law um and there will absolutely be losses massive losses like whole diocese wiped out because of this oh yeah yeah the the filing of bankruptcy will be head spinning because you're right yeah i mean in the end if you look at what the equality act was all about and we did we've done a couple shows on that there was no religious exemption right the 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 thought and the desire to deliberately attack the church was there they didn't they weren't given any any ground because they knew exactly where they were headed and were the bullseye i think i think deacon jeff there's this there's this really uh kind of pernicious sort of persecution of the Catholic Church in this country that's going on, indeed, all it's of all Christians. And what's so pernicious about it is that it has a certain de- deniability. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if you look at Christians who are persecuted elsewhere in the world and in the Middle East or what have you, yes, it looks absolutely much more vicious than John Allen will raise his hand and say, hey, we're not persecuted like they're persecuted over there. But, and which is true in a physical way. But there is a kind of persecution that's going on in the United States right now of, of all religious believers, but certainly of Catholics. And, and this, this um, I'll call it a law, this ju- judgment, which is passing, being passed as legislation, um, is absolutely a form of persecution. It's a form of persecution against those who are gender realists. Um, and uh, that just happens to be Catholics on, in the main. Uh, in the United States. Well, and there are a lot of people in the pews. I mean, I've seen it, and we all know they're everywhere, right? When you say Catholic, it's kind of a broad definition because people view <laughs> yeah. themselves, you know, anywhere on either end and anywhere in between. Yeah. But what what I have found is that people say, so what's wrong with this, right? There's this false sense of su- com- compassion that basically yeah, yeah, yeah. has thrown logic out, th- logic and common sense out the window because— we want to be nice to everybody that we kind of forget that we love people by sharing the truth, not lies. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I have a, a very well-meaning friend, a, a professor friend who is, is a faithful Catholic. And, and I know she means well when she defends, uh, you know, this kind, this kind of decision to a, to a certain kind of Catholic looks like something like being nice to the theater kids. <laughs> who, who, yeah. who, who might, you know, a, a theater guy who might wear a dress from time to time. You know, you'd be just being nice to somebody who's, you know, a little bit confused. It really, it really is far more pernicious than that. Um, you know, it's, it's good for Catholics to be uh, personages of grace and, and mercy and to sometimes look the other way at people's faults and, and, oddities and eccentricities, but this is not that. This is something more like unhinging society from reality itself. 
it's amazing and, and, how, how many people just like are lining up and think, well, you know, this this is okay. It's not going to hurt anything. It's like they can't see the forest from the trees about what's ready to eat them up. You know, it, it's interesting that it it's going on in the same period in which we're having this conversation about systemic racism. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is something about systemic. There are evils that are systemic. There are evils that that are pervade things and subvert the goods of society, the common goods of society, um, in in very subtle ways. And and I think this is a systemic evil. The 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 gender Gnosticism is a systemic evil that I think Catholics have to wake up and really see this is going to be a full frontal assault on them, but it's also a full frontal assault on those who it uh, keeps trapped in, uh, as you say, lies. Yeah, uh, it, it's keeping keeping people trapped in lies about their bodies, so that they are always feeling alienated from their bodies. I think the Holy Father, Pope Francis, said um, we need to teach young people to accept their bodies as they they have been given. God has given them these bodies, and they, we're, you know, a union of body and soul, and our souls need to accept the bodies that have been given to us as good. And there's a kind of Gnosticism on offer now which says only the body that you desire is good, not the body that you've been given. Well, uh, And that that's a heresy like no other. Yeah, and I appreciate, I mean, you, you speak so clearly, and there's not enough people doing it, so... I really appreciate you come appreciate you coming on today. But how can people follow what you're doing? Because you really do kind of have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Oh, thanks. You can I try to keep a, a positive profile on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at CC Pecknold. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, just Chad C Pecknold on Facebook. Uh, I think I'm on Instagram as Pecknold. So you can follow me on those major uh, social media sites. CZ, appreciate you coming on. To get a moral theologian that speaks the truth and is not afraid of what's going on is uh, is a breath of fresh air. Now joining us on Respect Life Radio is Ryan Anderson. Ryan is the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, founder and editor of Public Discourse, the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute of Princeton, New Jersey. He's also the author of When Harry Became Sally, and Truth Overruled, The Future of Marriage and Religious Freedom. I have both of those books, and I have stolen quite a bit out of that in, during homilies, <laughs> and, and have shared that book so many times that I'm not even sure where Harry Became Sally is, but I do have Truth Overruled in front of me. And with what's been going on in the Supreme Court, uh, you know, I was looking at just, you know, from abortion to the redefining of marriage, and now biological sex is, uh, has been blown up. Your next book is going to be Truth Overruled Again? <laughs> it, it seems that way, that the, the, the way in which we keep um, having the Supreme Court impose a misguided sexual and gender ideology on the country, um, it seems like there's going to be another book <laughs> that I need to write with a title like that. Yeah, I mean, and again and again, and I mean, you got the sequel things going, but I, you know, how much more of the moral foundations can they really blow up? You know, I'm afraid to answer that question because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if I, I, I don't want to contemplate what more damage they could do. But I'm sure there's more. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I, 
I wouldn't put it past the Supreme Court to one day discover a right to assisted suicide, even though 20 years ago they said there isn't a constitutional right to assisted suicide, right? I mean, this is the type of thing where uh, the Supreme Court had, back in the 70s, said there's no constitutional right to gay marriage. And then 40 years later, they say, oh, we discovered one, right? And uh, unfortunately, the Supreme Court can do a lot of damage when judges just impose their personal beliefs, their personal policy preferences, their views on contested questions on the American people. So what they can't do in the legislative way, they go ahead and do uh, the judicial way. And, you know, I I actually saw a tweet that you had uh, put out just the other day. You know, is this really the catalyst for the Equality Act, depending on how the election goes this year? It's amazing that the Democrats got probably 70 to 80 percent of what they wanted um, with these sex orientation and gender identity laws via the Supreme Court. But they never rest content. So later that week, the Supreme Court, um, you know, gives us the bad ruling in the Bostock case on a Monday. And then I believe it's that Thursday they go to the Senate floor to demand unanimous consent in passing the Equality Act. And only three senators rose to oppose it. Um, Senator Lee, Senator Lankford, and Senator Hawley. Um, and I, I think to a certain extent, that, that shows you what a, um, a weak cultural hand we have, a weak political hand uh, we have right now. Um, the, the Democrats think that uh, redefining sex to mean sexual orientation and gender identity, um, passing a coercive law that would force doctors to do sex reassignment procedures, that would force schools to let boys into the girls' bathrooms, boys to play on the girls' athletic team. They think that's good politics. And our side is afraid to say no, right? We, we have three courageous senators willing to say no. Um, but obviously the vast majority of the American people think no, right? They're afraid to say it out loud. But when you talk to people privately, Uh, You don't need to be particularly conservative or particularly religious to think that puberty blocking drugs are misguided, right? That boys competing against girls in athletics is misguided. Um, That doctors who think it's bad medicine to try to turn a boy into a girl and vice versa shouldn't be forced to do so. Uh, And so so I think this is a case where um, the court and uh, the, uh, the Democrats are way ahead of public opinion And yet, because that public opinion is afraid to actually say anything, um, they get away with it. Well, you were talking about puberty blocking drugs. What our what our elected officials and and even a lot of us need to take are calcium pills so we can actually get a backbone and stand up to this ridiculous uh, agenda that continues to want to destroy families, destroy human beings. And we're too afraid to say anything. So I, I you know, to hear only three senators stood up is very disheartening, especially since they have a majority in the Senate. Yeah, but I mean, I think what this um, reminds you is that just because someone has an R after their name doesn't necessarily mean that they're socially conservative. Um, And even those who are socially conservative, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have the courage of a Senator Lee or a Senator Lankford or a Senator Hawley um, to stand up and defend their voices. Uh, and, and you know, to stand up and defend their, their, their opinion, not defend their voice. Right, um, right. And that's the problem we have now is that um, we have some elected officials who don't share our convictions on these underlying moral and anthropological and metaphysical questions. And then we have some elected officials who do agree with us, but they don't have the courage to stand up and say so. Well, and we, and we elect these people. 
right? I mean, these people aren't gods, so elections have consequences. So people listening, we got a big election coming up in the fall. Make your voice heard. If we if we don't have people that have courage, then we need to get people with courage in there because we're the ones putting them in there to represent us, and they're not representing us. Part of the, uh, to, to my mind, the answer there is that all of us need to have um, greater confidence in um, the ability of the truth to persuade people, of the truth to convict people. And that means all of us need to have greater confidence in articulating the truth. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was, you know, I saw they censored uh, the panel discussion you had with Walt Heyer, who we've actually had on this show as well, who talked about this, this gender dysphoria and what's going on with children is child abuse. So now we got social media, you know, covering up the truth. We got elected officials who are afraid to speak the truth. How can people better educate themselves so that they can speak articulately about the truth? Now, I know reading your books are great because you don't just go to, hey, well, it says this in, you know, John or Luke or, you know, you go into logic, science, common sense, and you really do equip people to be able to have these kind of discussions and be able to articulate the truth when they're not confronted with it. Yeah, I mean, thank you. That's very kind of you uh, um, to say. I mean, that, that's the goal for these books, is that um, what I'm trying to do in the books that I've written on marriage, on religious liberty, on um, gender identity, is to um, help people understand the natural law case for these issues, um, that we know what the theological and biblical arguments are. Well, there are also philosophical and social science and medical science um, arguments for these same truths, because when God created us, he created us. Um, in a rational way, right? God is logos. And so all of creation has intelligibility. And that means what God has revealed to us through our intellects and through nature and through our intellect reflecting on nature and what God has revealed to us in scripture, they necessarily cohere, right? Because God's not schizophrenic. God doesn't have kind of like a split personality. And so what God tells us is true in Revelation and what God tells us is true through creation and through our intellect reflecting on creation We're going to come at the same place. Um, And so what I've tried to do in some of my writings is make that more accessible uh, to people so that uh, people would then have the ability to talk to their neighbors, talk to their colleagues who might not share their faith, right? Uh, Someone at work, someone at the PTA meeting, someone at Little League who might not share our faith, but who would at least be open um, to reason, to argument. Um, Beyond that, I think the the, the person you had just mentioned, Walt Heyer, um, he's a great resource on these questions because... Uh, think about how Jesus taught. He didn't teach um, with philosophical argument. He taught with parables, with stories, with examples. And Walt has a story. Walt has a testimony. Walt lived as as a woman for, I think it was seven or eight years, yep. and it didn't solve his problems. Uh, and I think when people hear someone like Walt, he's now in his 70s, and he's been spending the past two decades since he detransitioned, warning people about the mistakes of transitioning— Uh, When people hear someone like Walt share his story, I I think it's one of the most powerful things um, that we can do to show people the real life, the real harms, the real lives that can be ruined uh, by transition. Well, and at the end of When Harry Became Sally, you talk about a lot of those, you know, going on YouTube and looking at people talking about their detransitioning. And I watched a bunch of those and it was really compelling. That's why I ended up asking Walt to come on the show. Because I think people need to hear it from people who have lived the dysphoria and and were buying into the lies. So, 
Again, I know you're you're short on time, Ryan, and I appreciate you being with us. How can people follow you, what you're doing, and uh, you know any books that you have coming out or books that you've already published so that they can look at those and, and actually get them in their library and read them? Yeah, I mean, the simplest way just to kind of keep up with what I'm doing is on Twitter because I always um, you know tweet out links to things that I've written or podcasts that I've done if I have a link to that. Uh, and so my Twitter um, handle, I guess is what they call it, it's just at Ryan T. And, A-N-D. So it's R-Y-A-N-T-A-N-D. Um, the first three letters of my last name. Uh, and that's where, you know, I'll, I'll post things that I've written, but also things that um, I've read from other people, because obviously none of us have all of the answers. And so um, I share a lot of um, essays that I've read from other people who I've learned from. Uh, and, and so let me actually, let, let me plug a book that's coming out next week. Yes. Um, it's called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. It's by Abigail Schreier. Yep. Um, She's a, a Jewish writer who writes for the Wall Street Journal, right? So she doesn't share all of our faith commitments, um, but she's just looked at the science. She's looked at the data. She's interviewed several hundred people um, of various ages who have transitioned, who have detransitioned, medical doctors, and her book is very powerful. Um, and and, and as, I mean, as the title suggests, the transgender craze seducing our daughters, there's a particular form of gender dysphoria that seems to be attacking high school and college girls. Uh, it's unlike the way that gender dysphoria has historically presented itself. Um, and uh, as the title of the book, Irreversible Damage, it's leading many people um, to engage in uh, medical treatment that does irreversible damage to their bodies. And oh, by the way, Amazon's trying to suppress that too, right? Yeah, so her publisher, um, <laughs> so I've, I've worked with her publisher. They published one of my books. Um, Truth Overruled was published with Regnery Books. And she's publishing her book with Regnery Books. And Regnery took out an advertisement at Amazon for her book, and then Amazon said no. So you can advertise, you can promote books on Amazon in favor of transitioning teenage girls, but you can't advertise books that you know are, argue for caution and highlight some of the risks. Um, and so that's you know kind of the the, the pitch to our listeners is um, if you want to do something good for the author and learn something about what's going on. Um, Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, I, I highly recommend it.